0: Oh my gosh, uh, Joseph Holmes again.
1: That's <laughs>
0: <laughs> um it's very interesting that that motivation is it's the key in many situations. And you see it build upon the American culture. Like oh, sure. I have been told many times you just need to get motivated and you just need to try and do it. And you, if you try hard enough, you will succeed. Well, I'm sorry, but that is not accurate or true to my experience. Yeah. Like, cause even when I try and I try so hard and I motivate myself, even uh, for example, uh, one of the biggest examples, the reason I don't like math is not because I haven't tried it is because I tried
1: Like I tried
0: for so long to actually understand. I tried for so long to actually do it, to actually like get all these things. But for some reason, my brain doesn't like those things. Like my brain literally doesn't understand it. And if it doesn't understand it, it doesn't want it. And if it doesn't want it, it doesn't remember it. Yeah. Um. And, and i feel like in that area that has been like the hardest part it, it's been to actually get motivated like you said like yeah to train, well, it's
1: interesting i, I sorry go i didn't mean to interrupt to
0: train that muscle go ahead um
1: yeah no absolutely i think um what, one of the things that's interesting about this and this is one of the things i think is is just sometimes difficult for neurotypical people to understand is that you know i identify as a neurotypical i i I think I am neurotypical, but you know, like I had that, that I resonate deeply with that, you know, on math. Again, I, you know, was a very good student. I, mean, I was homeschooled, but then when I went into public school, I, or college, I, I, um, I found that I was acing all of my classes except for math. And I would got a lot of help from my mom to, you know, help me with, uh, some of those classes, uh, cause she was giving us, me and my sister, a little bit of a, you know she was it was helping with me with that because again we were you know homeschooled our whole lives and and so she was yes. like okay well, i'll help you sort of succeed with this but like even with all that help in terms of math like i still it was my least successful class and and the the moment that i could stop doing you know and I'd, like math classes were the ones i had to even get new friends in college when i went to a not community college but like a regular four-year college when I did that, and, you know, I had to get friends to help me with my math classes. And the minute I could stop doing math, I did. Because, again, like you, I could not get that. And so a lot of times, you know, I know neurotypical people hear what you're saying and saying, like, well, that's not too different from what I experience.
0: But, yeah. you know, again,
1: i talked with David Clarkson. Like, it is. Because, again, there's a difference between, and you can correct me if, I, if the way I'm putting this is wrong, the difference between it being really, really hard and it being Pretty much impossible.
0: <laughs> exactly, that is the thing because this culture, even like the culture we are living in, the U.S. culture, has that mindset: nothing is impossible. Right. Like if you try. Right. And I'm I'm always get like, well, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's not true for everyone. Yeah. I think, and Nathan puts it very well. It does. It only it, it doesn't only feel impossible to us. Like in many times, it is yes, because yes. our brain is not developed yet. Like yeah. it's not completely developed.
1: Like, well, I, yep. Well, that's the thing is that's sort of, that's sort of difficult sort of about American culture and and you know because. We used to in our American culture we had again we've always been the sort of like the independent spirit and self motivated you know and self uh, reliant individual and I think that that's a good thing in many respects. So we used that, to have a way of we used to have a way of supplementing that because you know we had we lived in tight-knit communities with extended families and people who knew each other. So in the places where we fell short because we all fall short in some places we had people who could help us pick up the slack i think one of the best examples of this is you know and we brought this up on on review uh, together before but um is the tv show monk where you know he's he is an ocd character he is brilliant he's a genius but he needs the support of his whole community around him to make up for his um his shortcomings which we all have and i think that you know, we're, we're seeing limits now that we're like, we're saying, okay, we want to have but without the community to support us because we want to all live on our own and be independent. And so we're yeah. seeing the limits of that when we don't have the supplemental kind of support community around us, then that I think has shown how toxic that can be when it's all on its own. And you're right. We have wanted to believe that there are no, like that there are no biological limits, on us um yeah and no biological differences between us that might put different limits on different people because then that might give us a sense of social responsibility and of of for each other that we don't want to have well the only way we want to have social responsibility is through the government which is another way of just saying i don't want to be responsible for you but i want to pay someone else to do it
0: um yeah <laughs> if i can if i can cut in here for a second Wait. um what, what you said, like, it's so true, because the moment, because every time I express, hey, I didn't understand this. I need help. People don't help me. What they do mm. is they go, okay, this is what you have to do. Mm. And I'm like, uh... And they explain (laughs) and explain and explain. And I'm like, great, 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 great. (laughs) Uh, And then when they're done, I'm like, thank you. And then I'm just left on my own again. Yeah. And I'm not able to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, well, you didn't really help me do it. You just told me how to do it. I know how to do it. I'm not an idiot. I need <laughs> yeah. help to yeah. do it. Like, like actual help. You don't go to a person who is drowning in the pool asking, help, help, and you go like, well, this is what you have to do. First, paddle. <laughs> paddle. paddle. to the <laughs> top. Like, save yourself. Come on. You can do it. Just, <laughs> do it. you know, like, no, you you don't, like, explain a whole class uh, like while someone is, is, is drowning you don't explain how to swim you go and reach down and grab them and take them out of the pool like that's what you do you, that's what helping is but I feel like how, like people when, when somebody nowadays like asks for help it's more about okay I'm going to help you help yourself.
1: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really, that's really well put. I think that image of, of the difference between somebody drowning and then give teaching them how to swim <laughs> rather than reaching in and helping get them out. It's a great image.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it, it's something that I've learned that I have to, sit down with people and actually explain to them what do I mean when I say I need help. Yeah. And and that's something that is hard for me. Yeah. And, and because the the biggest problem I have with the advocacy that we have with the with with neuro neurodiverse people is that we are told that we either there's different types of neurodiversity right usually sure. a lot of autistic people they are people think that they have someone else has to fight for them and they constantly say i don't want you to fight for me i can fight sure. for myself right? right with people with adhd for us it's kind of different because people are always telling us to fight for ourselves because they think that it's not such a big deal oh, that's it's interesting just- Yes, so we are left completely alone to fend for ourselves. So it's the complete opposite to a person with autism. Like, so a person with autism wants freedom because they are being held back due to the fact yeah. they are autistic. But us with ADHD, we are left alone because we're told you are capable enough. You yeah. get good grades, or yeah, look, uh, of course not all of us with uh, with ADHD get good grades. You know, there's sure. some of us that right, really. Right, yeah. really Struggle deeply in everything again i'm not talking for the entire adhd community but i'm talking for myself when i've had issues in my life i've i haven't been people haven't been there it's been more the fact that i've been left alone to fend for myself even right. when it comes to going to school like i yeah like and i have this uh, like experience with uh, I was I studied in Puerto Rico first. Oh wow! Over there, so I graduated and I and I, I graduated as a dental assistant in Puerto Rico, and I felt like the uh, accommodation system for people with ADHD was better in Puerto Rico because there was a more uh, there was more of a sensible touch where. Uh, teachers would understand that this person has some kind of um, disability, right? So right. I'm gonna try to ask them what do they need from me, or I'm gonna read this letter that the person over there in the office gave me that has the accommodations, because they made a letter and they made a recommendation of the things I needed. And that's what the teacher should follow. These are the things that uh-huh. he needs, right? The letter of recommendation—that's what it is for. And that teacher would adjust themselves to that. Um, uh-huh. And and I think it, like the idea uh, of that is, is kind of interesting to me because yeah, totally. when, I, when when I came to the U.S. And I studied here. I don't know if maybe the system is better in other schools, but when I stood in, in the call co- in the in the college that I did, when I was there, one of the first things that I was told was that one of my rights was taken away because they said in this school we don't believe that like you should have more time to do your homework. Because we feel like when we give you more time, you actually uh, don't do the – like. It, it basically is doing the opposite effect for you guys. So I'm going to take this right away that you have of extended periods of time to do your homework because this Interesting. is going to help you grow uh, sure. as, and actually be more responsible – giving your homework, putting your homework in and that felt, that felt horrible for me. Cause I was like, what? I need that time. Like, don't you, like people don't understand that this is one of the main things. Like we don't just do things. We have to think about doing them first. So sure. me, I have to paint a complete picture of, of how I do this task. What am I doing? I have to break it down in my mind. And after I break them down in my mind, I actually go and do it in real life. Like, so I have to spend effort just sitting down and thinking about a task before doing that task. Sure. Um, That's interesting.
1: Yeah. mm -hmm. Because oftentimes people talk about the brain working where you can, you do something enough and then it become, you can automate it. If you do something often enough, you can automate it. But it seems like for most tasks for you, those tasks never become automated.
0: Yes, they need to be thought about. Now, something I'm really good at is my motor skills, which is something, Ah. again, it's a spectrum because there's people with ADHD that struggle with their motor skills. There's people with autism that struggle with their motor skills. But for me, I am very adequate at my motor skills. Uh, Of course. Not all of them because I do drop things a lot. Um, <laughs> I am butterfingers. But what I mean is that <laughs> my motor my motor skill memory is, uh, very, is very accurate to the things that I have to do. So I, I like I memorize how to do things by doing it. Like I for example, for me it's not if you explain how to do something to me, I won't comprehend it i have to do it myself like i have to see you do it and then replicate that action on my own to to do it i also like when i am able to do it and you explain it at the same time so i'm able to do it and explain and and someone is explaining how to do it as i go do it
1: yeah well that's something i definitely can i can relate to um to some degree where again, you know, it, if I can, there are different forms of knowledge. And if I, you can give me several forms of knowledge at once, where one is I actually do it myself and it becomes sort of part of me. And the other is you explain how to conceptualize it. Um, that's very helpful for me. I often, again, I, I, you know, my mom would get irritated with me because she would try to explain to me how to do things. And I was just like, let me do it. Cause then yeah. I'll actually, and then when I make mistakes, tell me what I'm doing wrong and how to adjust exactly. it. Cause I will actually, I will actually know how to do it.
0: Yeah, that is something that I always get frustrated about. Is that people are not willing to sometimes not everyone, but people are not willing to adjust the way they teach things. Well, that's
1: and that's a difficult thing about the you know about the school system. Two two aspects of it. One is that it's uh, is that it's it's made for. Recitation, and it's made for one what? kind of learning. You know, you sit in a desk, and you are taught things verbally and auditorially, and then you you back and and so if you have a if if that's your learning style, or if you um, at least are are fairly adept in in that, you know, you're competent enough in it, then you can handle that. But for but for most people, and again, this, this is more for neurodiverse people. It's also in generally, oddly enough, more common for men than women. If you are more bodily kinesthetic learning, it really doesn't do much for you. Um, and, uh, and another thing about school systems is that they're so overcrowded. And so it's like, it really is hard to accommodate all the different needs of everybody. So they just end up sort of saying, we're going to teach one way. And then, um, Uh, be and then and that's going to be it so there's a lot of problems with you know who'd have thought that adopting our model of education on the you know uh pre pre pre-totalitarian prussia um would uh uh, that was trying to just create obedient soldiers um would be problematic but there it is
0: yeah uh even even testing has been even doing tests that had that has been something that has been Evaluated many times to a system that doesn't work either. Because testing, it, we we usually people go and bottle up information and then they sure, dump yeah. it out into a test. Like when somebody tells me you have to study for the test, I'm like, wait, why do I have to study? I should already know all these things. Like sure. Yeah. I should be able to already access my mind and be like, I know how this works. I know what this is. Cause I've been studying for a whole year. Like I sure. and I've been I've been getting taught, quote unquote, all about all of this all this year, right? And the, the worst thing about testing and standardized testing is that tests want to trick you most of the time. They're they're sneaky. Like they, they write tests to make you fall and i feel like that's not fair either because i have worked um one of my best teachers for me was a teacher that would give their class and then based on what she gave she would make us a test according to exactly the things she said so like Mm -hmm. it was very much the best test I've ever taken because I would remember everything that she would give in her class. Like, hmm. I didn't have to study for her tests because everything that she taught was going to be in that test. Sure. Uh, and it was not going to be like bended, it was not going to be trying to sneakily trick me and oh, this is, oh, that was the wrong answer because instead of a in, it said a uh, on. You know?
1: <laughs> sure. Well, so this is, here's an interesting question. Let me, let me, let me, let me ask you about that. And then, you know, give some pushback and see what your, your thoughts are on it. So one of the things I felt helpful about, you know like, stu- you know, stu- being and then studying for the test is that, you know, I was getting information one way and I was getting information. I was getting a bunch of information and the, the teacher was trying to te- put it into a narrative. So not only was I getting information but I was understanding the thoughts behind the narrative and the the way to fit it all together and then when it was time to study for a test what i found was that by studying it over again i was re- repeating so the information again but i was also having it it distilled even more clearly summarized i'm figuring out which of these things not only is the information but is the most important information summarizes the other information so i was getting all the information before and then i was getting summaries of the information afterwards or i was studying summaries of i was learning how to distill it into its most important information so i actually understood things conceptually and not just something i would repeat back to someone and that was the other that's the other thing about the the test the trick is i found that you know the reasons professors would say they were doing that and the reasons that i found it helpful is that if it was rephrased in a different way they would say it's because you know Oftentimes, people say you don't actually understand something unless you can rephrase what is being said. And so, by rephrasing what was said, I found I was being challenged to not just repeat what was being said to me, but to actually understand it. And so, um, and so, the testing, putting it in a different way, was a way of testing to see if you actually understood it and not just repeating it. Um, and there is, you know, evidence that you know, um, diet, you know, that, that, um, at least with the SATs that the SATs do have some, have, have probably one of our, our strongest, um, methods of figuring out how well somebody is going to be able to adapt to new tasks, um, uh in in outside outside of college. It's like so like you do the SATs and then somebody says, okay, or at least like the SAT get the SATs and that person is probably going to be able to do well in college. And that person who does well in college is probably going to be able to adapt to tasks in the workplace as well. So a lot of people who are advocates of the testing model say, yes, it's flawed. Yes, it does not include everything everyone. But it is the best filtering mechanism we've figured out so far for figuring out who's going to be able to handle these particular tasks we're looking for in these places in the workplace and it's actually been for a lot of people like it's been a way of filtering out race and class and gender as yeah. um things like well look, the, this the person did did well here so we shouldn't use these other like in britain they particularly like it was one of the ways a lot of people got out of poverty because it was like well they didn't they may not be rich but they're but they're much better on the SATs than this guy who is rich. And so they should get a leg up. So I guess what would you say as sort of a response or pushback to those sort of um, advocacies of that model of uh, getting information uh, and, and, uh, and testing?
0: Yeah. I feel like it's a very, I feel like here's the thing. I don't believe that there is per se a neurotypical mind Like, of course, there's not like I went on when we when I say neurotypical, I mean, like the typical mind, which is still diverse in their own way. Right. Every single mind is diverse, but there are many people that fit into this neurotypical way because they're able to actually adapt to the normal, quote unquote, way of living. They're able to conform to the school systems, to the university system, to the, to the job system, like the structure of life and how it works in our society. Um, to that, to cause a little bit of pushback on that, I feel like that's a very neurotypical way of seeing things. Because um, I have never been good on tests. And the only tests I've been good at has been because I've bottled the information up. So I have recited the information many, many, many times until I go to the test and actually put it on page. And then after that, I forget entirely on what I even studied, what I even learned. I don't remember it anymore. It's on the page. It doesn't matter anymore to my brain, so it discards it. Um, I feel like for me, I would, uh, I think first of all, I feel like uh, I've always been an advocate to not to get rid of testing, but to change the way we do testing, uh, how we test things, uh, how we test people. I feel like everybody should have, not everybody, but, but there should be A practical way of testing, a visual way of testing, uh, a a word written way of testing, which is the one we have, and an audible way of testing. So I feel like there should be four different types of testings. So it would be the practical, which is what, what people that only learn by actually doing that thing like there are people like that and i'm mostly that's what how i learn i learn by doing things Uh, i can learn by listening to the theoretical stuff but it's more if it's like an like interesting conversation that i'm willing to give it a a, a, to actually understand my brain understands this because it resonates with my experience with my life i am able to actually comprehend these things because i'm interested in them I am interested in them and that's why I comprehend them. But I am not gonna be interested in all those different subjects. But if you tell me how to do them practically, I will do them practically and I will be able to learn how to do them practically. And if you test me practically, instead of being like, what do you have to do? Turn the lever to the side, turn the Mm -hmm. lever to the right side, Or turn the lever up or turn the lever down. What is the Mm. right thing? Um, I always go like, I don't know. I have to have the machine with me and actually turn the lever. And I'll Mm. remember where it goes. Because I don't remember textually. I don't remember it in a page. I remember it by actually doing it. So if I am being tested practically in, in that setting, that would be better. There's people that are better at audio. Like, they're able to hear things better. So, they're better at oral exams. And I have tested with oral exams and I have actually passed with oral exams as well mm. uh, because I'm able to share my knowledge instead of trying to put it in a piece of paper, which is hard for me, anyways, because I'm trying to reconstruct, like, trying to transfer my knowledge to this piece of paper and um, there's the people that um that needed to be actually written down and and because there's people that that are better at that so i feel like there should be different types of testing so that it, so that when a teacher or the student himself themselves uh shows that they learn in a specific way then people can be tested in that specific way. And maybe they're going to get even better grades because maybe they're good at a different way of learning. I feel that's my kind of way of pushing neurodiversity within the testing system.
1: Sure. That makes sense. I think my question sort of would be to that is <laughs> if we have, um, that, you know, kind of t- basically say, okay, like we have all the different testing for all the different kinds of learning styles. And if you, if you kind of, there's maybe a prime test that says, okay, which learning style do you have? Um, mm-hmm. Then, uh, then you take a test for that, um, that learning, uh, that learning style. Um, and so taking that test, that learning style. Um, what, one of the, the things that's, you know, what do we do? about making sure that all these different times people with le- different learning styles can communicate with each other and because there does seem to have to be a certain type of conformity into a common language and space for communication um, of how to pass information from one to the other and so the difficulty of the system we have now is that it forces everybody to learn just one even if you know their brains don't learn as well with that but they uh, more people still do learn how to communicate with each other better than they would if they only learned in the style that they were more um, most strong in. And so what do you, do, you, do you think that there's room to figure out how that
0: would work? Yeah, definitely because I think even if you think about it, uh, are a lot of the things that we, we like, uh, we have in our in schools and in universities is about at the end of the day is about getting a job like for example um even when it comes to acting sure or um for example like like that right like i i was uh i signed up for a class on 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 acting and i was disappointed that it was all just like we're just going to yeah. we're just going to talk about it like what it is and 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 how to do it and i'm like well that kind of sucks everything out of it like uh, I'm so
1: gonna... you're saying and this is i think this is i actually would probably agree with this is that um for the most part most classes should be a hybrid of all the different learning styles
0: yes yes
1: that, that makes sense. I actually I actually think I would agree with that. And I think that the, I mean, again, I can't don't have the data in front of me, but I think that the um, what you call it, the uh, uh, I think the data that the school schools that tend to do that to to work on multiple layers of learning styles um, are I do tend to do better uh, in terms of putting out better, um, have this, better success with students. So, yeah, I would actually be an advocate for that, for for schools to be follow that model more. That's a great that's a great point
0: yeah um how do you like with your mind uh i I always like to ask this like what are you able to visualize in your mind like what are you able to visualize can you picture an apple yes okay is there a background is the apple on something
1: is usually very vague um the you know it, it's it often it will often rep, uh, depend on what i have most strongly or most recently associated an apple with so like you know if some of my strongest associations with picture an apple i have two str- really strong associations one is you know those old preschool things that would say here's an apple here's an orange and so like i will see like a drawing of an apple against a white background. But sometimes, you know, if I just recently went to a supermarket, I will see like a really high definition picture of an apple. Well, everything is sort of vague in my, when I visualize my head, but like a really, a a much more um, clear picture of an apple. And then, you know it's like in in what you call it um deep focus versus shallow focus uh is like so it's it's like it's in focus an apple is in focus and then out of focus is all the other apples and all of everything else at the supermarket where it is um and sometimes i'm holding it in my hand but everything else at the the apple itself is in focus i'm focusing on that i'm even not even really thinking about everything else but there is a sort of background of that um a very out of focus not focused on um background of those things um that was my or, or loudest association. So usually it's that cartoon picture of the apple with the white background or something like, I was just at a supermarket or I was just getting out of the fridge and I see, you know, the, the things around it. So that's typically how I see it.
0: Interesting. Um, so if I say like, okay, picture you are in a park and you're walking a dog, do you actually see that in your mind? Do you see it right now? Yes. Um, It's interesting. I like to ask this to many people because it is, when it comes to this, it is very much uh, like a a spectrum because people are able to either see some of it, not uh, see very detailed things, uh, and it kind of just like goes from that, from either seeing nothing to seeing actual things in real life to actually project right. them, to actually like see them there in front of you which some people would call hallucinations but <laughs> it is, but it's still imagining it it's still imagination right. like you're um so so those are the two different spectrums right. right like the two different sorry like uh polar opposites basically i have nothing in my head like i'm blank Wow. Fascinating. Yes. So that's Aphantasia, basically. Uh, And it's like, I think it's like a 1% of people or something like, or four, I don't know. I think it's a 1% or 2% of people in the world or something like that. I'm not sure. I don't remember Uh, the actual thing. I'll probably look it up later. Or you look it up. Aphantasia. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I'll do Um, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, basically, I can't see anything. So wow. imagine, imagine the struggle that it is when somebody tells you, "Picture this," and all I could, I thought when people said "picture this," I always thought it was uh, a concept. Because in my mind, sure, when somebody tells me "picture an apple," I I am able to imagine. And think about the concept of an apple. Like, what is an apple? Sure. Like, oh, it's, that is it's
1: essence. Yeah.
0: That, like, what is an apple? And I'm able to build a picture in my mind that is not actually a picture, but it's a it's a form of, right. of, uh, of what it is. Like, I understand what an apple is, so I am picturing an apple in my Fascinating. mind. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. So, so Nathan Clarkson and I had a conversation about this a few months ago. And and one of the things we talked about, like, you know, people who are first kind of impressionists and first kind of words and first kind of images. So like, you know, like, you know, I do, if you tell me to picture something, I can picture it. But the first thing, like when, when somebody says a word, if somebody says, you know, talks about an apple, the first thing I do is I don't picture a detailed picture of it. I have an impression like all the, the feelings and the concepts and the, again, it's, I see redness. I see the, the tastiness. I see the, you know, the, the, all these things. So I have the impression of it first. That's the first thing that hits my head. And then if I have to think further then I, I, you know, I lasso all those things together and put them together into a, into a picture or into the concept or into the other things. But the first thing I get is a, a wave of impressions. Um, and so it, there you know there's a there's there's a multitude of differences of how how this can even for people who can if you know are commanded to by a very charming podcast host uh can uh can do um even there there's there's places where people are stronger or where their first instinct is
0: yeah uh that is very interesting because because that's all i get the impression i guess yeah the and i can't think even further um, uh-huh. it's very, it, 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 and, and when I try, uh, again, it's all about a concept. It's all about the, an idea. So, so for example, uh, like I love narrative tabletop RPG. Like I, I love telling a story, right. um, and I am a GM, so I have to picture things in my head without picturing them. Wow. Like I have to describe it places without even having a visual aid in my mind but i do have a concept of what that place is and how it feels wow. and people, people tell me that they're able to see the places with my descriptions because That's... yeah because i am not able i am not able to see it but i am describing something that doesn't wow. even exist in my own mind uh, i'm describing something that exists can
1: i ask you a question about that
0: yeah
1: just because because so the way you described it is very good very you can describe the impressions how it feels and other people can say impart into that the visuals because like okay i know what makes me feel like that i can do that that makes sense to me it's beautiful and amazing almost you could say christ-like because you're giving something to other people that you can't even have your yourself in a sense which is amazing um but you're also a great artist like you, you draw things. And for me, you know, I draw, I have a, you know, I don't draw as much as other people do, um, but I do draw. And when I draw, I do that by, you know, as, or Michelangelo put it is like, you know, the, the, the statue already exists in there. I'm just carving out away way the other pieces. So I have the image and picture of the thing I want to draw in my mind. And I simply, in a sense, trace the image to the level of skill that I have um, into uh, I traced that um, onto the page. Um, and I don't know how one would draw if they didn't already have an image in their mind they could essentially copy from. I mean, you know, obviously you, you make adjustments with the feeling and, and artistry, but like, but to at least have a base to draw from. Do that.
0: Uh, I used, to learn how to draw, I used tracing. And it ah. became a, a motor skill.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So I would, and I would get books to how, how to draw and they would give you basis on how to draw characters, how to draw anatomy. So I had to learn the concept of anatomy. I had to learn the concept and actually use my, my, my hands to get to a place where I was happy with how my art looked like that. The concept I had in my mind Reflected the page and it still sometimes doesn't reflect what I pictured. Because again, I'm not able to see a, a picture in my mind per se, right. but I have this concept in my mind. And I find that even when I try to replicate that concept, sometimes it's hard for me to do it because sure. it, it doesn't fit completely with the description in my mind. Uh, that's why I love auto audible like audible and other podcasts and and stuff like that because for me the best way to for someone to describe i can understand when somebody's describing something it's not that i'm picturing it but when someone describes it to me i am understanding what that place is i've been in I've been in a, in, a, in a castle before, so I know how castles look like. Or I've seen it in movies before. I understand what the picture of a castle is. So I have to have seen it before and understand how something is, how it looks, how it feels, to actually picture it in my mind. Sure. So it's very interesting. In yeah, that. that is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like it—it's very, very cool to to think about it and to to think how other people have different experiences. And it's very curious that uh that other people with uh, fantasia are artists, like yeah, uh, and they're able to actually somehow we are able to actually draw and stuff like that without having it in our minds. It's more of a concept we want to put out there, and yeah. we draw what we can't see. That's the thing. We draw because we can't see it in our minds.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So that would be that would make sense of the fact that if you're, I mean, if it, as you say, um, and I, I accept, you know, you you know more about it than I do, so I assume you're right about this. That there, that a disproportionate number of people with aphantasia our artists that it's that's what they're doing It's like you know i can't generate this in my own mind so i'm going to put it on the page that is fascinating and beautiful yeah um i think it's it's interesting i think again one of the things i love about these conversations like for me is that again sort of as i said you know because i have a particular experience in a thing again when i draw this is how i do it um and i i can't I can't imagine doing it another way. And, you know, sometimes that's true. Sometimes like there's, I mean, sometimes there's ways to do things, but there's also usually more than one way to do things. And so it's always fascinating for me to see who has somebody who's another experience. Like I don't do it this way and I still draw. And again, I assume people are listening to this podcast. I assume they have seen, you know, Raymond's amazing, you know, artwork. It's it's awesome. It's quirky. It's funny. It's got life in it. Um, and, uh, and so, so it's like, well, clearly there's somebody else who can make great art that can do it differently than me. And so, and so learning how there's another way of expressing and living in and moving through the world, um, uh, that's different from mine is a, a beautiful, fascinating, uh, thing to understand. And i think that we should people more people should be more comfortable um, with the idea that there are multiple ways of moving in the world it being the right way not that there's an unlimited way of moving in the world that being the right way but that there are multiple ways of doing it and and being a comfortable exploring um what some of those ways might be
0: yeah and that's that's very interesting like for my girlfriend she has the opposite because she is, and she has an overactive imagination, so she's able Ooh. to actually see things outside, like actual, like things that she can conjure into the real world and actually feel it. That and that's Ooh. called uh, fantasy prone personality. So she has the the opposite uh, <laughs> end of the spectrum than me. Oh
1: man, you two must be such an amazing pair. <laughs>
0: yeah because i'm able i'm not able to see anything or feel anything imaginatively but she is um so uh, and she's also an artist um but i've seen that she struggles a lot with conjuring those pictures in her mind to the page ah uh, like, yes so it's the complete opposite thing cuz wow. for me it's like easier to conjure the pictures because I, I'm able to f- try to find how it would look like based on my thing, but for her is the opposite. Where she <laughs> sees she sees the thing in complete perfection, but when she transfers it to the page, it does not look like what she imagined.
1: Well, and that's that's very discouraging. Again, I Nathan Clarkson and I talk about the the advantages and disadvantages being between being an idealist and being a realist. And one thing that I struggle with being sort of an a, I'm philosophically a realist, but I'm dispositionally an idealist. So okay. when it's, difficult, it's difficult for me sometimes to do anything because I'm afraid of it not um, being as great as it is in my head. You know, it's difficult to make, you know, uh, I've, str- you know I've, I've struggled a while to, to finish the script for my first feature film because the, what's on the page doesn't match, as, isn't as beautiful as what I imagined in my head and you know, something that I've had people challenge me on and anything Clark's including is that, like, you know, just make a thing, you know and, and it's okay if it doesn't um, match exactly what's in your head I mean, Tolkien talks about that he struggled with Lord of the Rings actually getting it onto the page because he it was too perfect in his head and he had so much to do and he talked about having a dream about, um, about uh, uh, working all his life on, on just one leaf to, to draw uh, to paint a leaf on a, a tree and you know when he died and he couldn't even he couldn't even make the whole tree before he died but in heaven like there was there was the whole tree there and so you know he he um uh and so you know he eventually just put lord of the rings to page even though it wasn't what and of course we look at it and say i i say i i'm like i would you know tell me who i have to kill to m- make something as good as lord of the rings but for him it wasn't even as perfect as it was in his head and so you do have to get out of your own way in that respect sometimes but that's the struggle that people with you know visualization and that ability of visualization in their heads that vividness um, sometimes have in articulating it so in some senses you know again that's another reason that you know, people uh, with like you have maybe are disproportionate artists is because you don't have that in a sense disadvantage of having an idealized picture in your head that you have to what's on the page has to compete with
0: yeah exactly i most of the time i always compete with other people's image <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like i, I uh, mostly i'm like oh that person did it better than me uh and that's basically that's very relatable i think oh, of course
1: everybody does that but also in a sense i don't you can cr- wrong or maybe i don't know maybe there's no way to prove this but i think there's to a certain degree that's i mean i find that easier because at the very least i can say well that's i mean they're a different person so i can't really compare myself to them and also i can trace what they did and i can reverse engineer what they did because it's an objective thing on the page there's no way for me to you know uh tie down the image in my head to the degree that i can trace it out in as, and, and reverse engineer it in the same way. So again, is it, is it a, it can't be a disadvantage to not have that image to compare it to? Absolutely. But it is, you know, it's, it's, we often think only in terms of if it's a zero sum advantages versus disadvantages, but yeah. clearly there is some advantage in not having that image to compare it into your head which again, the result is you're a great artist that creates really fun, cool stuff, and and that's uh, and have put out a lot of great, fun content.
0: Exactly. Uh, I always, uh, but I was at, at, at a time I was stuck in that. I was talking and actually doing something. Like I yeah. was like, I want to do this. I want to create this, but it's not going to be as as great as my concept. My mm-hmm. idea is not going to be what I put out there, but Mm. I was able to grow out of that fear when I was able to love what I made. I feel Mm. like criticize their own work most of the time, instead of appreciating what they have created. What did God do when he created us, even though he created something perfect, but he appreciated his own work. Yeah. He, he said, and this is good. And of course, mm. God created something perfect. Uh, of course, and we're not going to be able to create something perfect. Sure. But we still can appreciate what we create. We can say, yeah. well, I am not perfect yet. And I am just learning how to do these things. But I like what I made. I know it's yeah. not the best. I know I it can be better. But... I'd like this. I like where this is it, where this is. And I know that it's going to be better in the future, but I can focus on what I have right now.
1: Well, that's the thing is that's what, I mean, that's what God does with us because we we're not perfect and he loves us anyway. And that's what parents do with their children. They're not perfect, but they love them anyway. And that's something that we oftentimes need to um, do with our arts and it's what we need to do with ourselves, because you yes. know, we we oftentimes, you know, uh, you know, we oftentimes we're we're more forgiving for of our friends and their flaws than we are with ourselves. Yeah. There's a certain through which we don't think that we're worth loving. I mean, that's the thing is oftentimes we don't think our art is worth loving until it's perfect, because we don't think we're worth loving until we're perfect. And yet we don't right. treat our friends that way. Um, yeah. And, and that's something that's maybe sometimes a good thing to remember: is is try loving our art and loving ourselves the way that we would with a friend.
0: Yeah, uh, and something, and we joke around this with, uh, and I know Nathan jo- jokes around with this, uh, with with narcissism, right? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. But actually, that's us. Uh, that it, it's one of the ADHD traits. It, it's not really narcissism; it's more the fact that we'd like to that other people like appreciate what we have made. I don't care mm. if I become famous. I don't care if I'm a superstar or anything like that. I just want someone to read my work or yeah. watch my show or oh, listen yeah. to it, and say, wow, that is amazing. And, yeah. and, uh, it's a sense of, it kind of like shows that we are worthwhile, you know. Yes. Because we develop this this trauma with with the fact that we're not we're not capable, we're not yeah. worth it. Um, that nobody wants to give any time to us because we're hard to work with because we're this yeah. or that. But when somebody looks at you and tells you like truthfully. I heard this. Truthfully, I, I, I listened to the whole thing and I can tell you my favorite part of it. I yeah. can tell you your, my favorite part of your show or your movie or or your podcast. Like I really liked when you said this. That, just the reward of somebody appreciating
1: what mm-hmm. I mean. Because Because it came from the deepest part of you. And if they love that thing, that means that they love the deepest part of you.
0: Exactly. Um, I honestly, I always get really hurt when somebody, I, I, if you be honest with me and tell me, you know, like, I love you as a person, but I'm not, I don't enjoy your content. Like, it's sure. not for me. Like, it's not that you are doing a bad job. It's just, it's not my thing. Sure. I understand that more. And I feel, I don't feel hurt by that. Sure. I do feel hurt by someone pretending and saying, I really think you're talented and you're amazing. And wow, you do really great things without even giving it a chance without even listening to it. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Understanding what it is. Uh, I feel more hurt about that because of what you said, because I am sharing a part of myself yeah. and you dismissing it by just, yes. uh, and my mind interprets that as a lie. You know, you're just yeah. lying yeah. to me. Uh, you're just, you're wanting me to feel good about yes. myself, but it, you haven't appreciated what it made. So I'm right. not feeling good. Right. Um, I wanted to ask one, one final thing, cause we're, we're almost done. Um, I, your podcast is about overthinking and it's about thinking deeply. Um, which can be sometimes a, a really hard time for us. Um, I talked about how there is an ongoing conversation in, in our minds sometimes where we want to continue talking about a certain subject. If if right now I want to keep going with this, like I want to keep having this conversation with you, but I know that there's many other things I have to do in this day. Right, um, and I'm gonna still have this conversation in my mind throughout the whole mm. day, um, and time passes by, but I'm not able to interpret that time correctly. My mm. mind, with the, again, with the front frontal cortex, helps you out with managing time. Right, time management is something that I've seen that a lot of people. Uh, neurotypical people are able to do in a in a better way I, again not they're not perfect either at what? it um they still have what uh psychologists some psychologists call like brain glitches sure. uh, yeah. but for me i have a blindness of time i have a time blindness um hmm. uh, in, in the fact that I don't, um, the way time moves is very differently. Now, you know how people always say, like I've heard many neurotypical people say, oh, like time flies by when you're with your friends. Right. Or time flies by when you're doing something you like. and Or time goes really slow when you do something that you don't like. Right. Uh, but actually feeling suffering for not comprehending time itself like like for example like are you do you struggle with with this we when i think of a week a week feels like a month interesting and, and uh and a month feels sometimes like a whole year hmm and vice versa so it's not the same way all the time but there's this thing where oh a month passed but this month this time it felt like it was just it it went by so quickly it just felt like a week or sure Sometimes it's the opposite where when I meet a person, I can learn so much about this person and I can talk and relate so much about this person that just by talking to them for for a month, I my brain completely expands that time and be and thinks I know this person for years. Right. That's true like how how does the concept of time and i know this is a like very complicated oh, question yes. to end.
1: well let's let's deal with uh, the entire concept of time in the few minutes we have yeah. left on this podcast <laughs> um, or the subjective experience of time um yeah exactly so, like, so way we, the way that um uh I would describe it and this is sort of a I, I, pattern in our conversations is that there's a lot of things you're saying that resonate with me, um, within cons- constraints, like I've had the experience of, again, if I'm meeting somebody for the first time and I've have, and I'm having a blast with them and it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, it's not been 30 minutes. It's been two hours. How did that happen? You know, I I've experienced that. I've also experienced before, you know, the, the fact that it's like, wait, hold on that was, you know, that was six months ago. Like I felt more like six weeks, you know? And, and, you know, I mean, there's a meme that's going around where it was like, this year has been January, February, March, March, April, (laughs) June. And the, and certainly again, like the, um, uh, the experience of time uh, where, you know, like, Life felt like it was going so slow when you were, when I was younger, because you know each moment was a, a, a larger percentage of the life I had lived. And now that I'm getting older, it feels fast because it's, each moment is a shorter percentage of my time I've lived. So you know, there's time is elastic for me as a concept, but it's elastic within constraints. It still does snap back. Um, so again, I have a concept of the 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 time of, of what a week is what a month is, what a year is, thats a concept is, is, is fairly, it almost looks like a calendar, you know, to me. And and, and it's, very, it's very clear in my mind, but it's also elastic, that elastic how it feels based on, again, my perception of time, which is based on, you know, how much am I focusing on every individual moment um, or how much am I focusing in the moment? You know, if, if I can say, you know when I'm again when I'm enjoying something a lot, or I'm super focused on a thing, I'm not focused on the passage of time. But when I'm actually not as focused on the thing, I'm focused on the passage of time, and I can mark things. And so, time does move differently. But I don't. I very rarely felt. Um, and again, I I you know I, this is also partly sort of, you know my upbringing. To a certain degree, I, I do a lot of things to orient myself um, because I'm, you know, I'm a person that has somewhat of a chaotic inner world, inner life and personality. And so, you know, it's one of the reasons I, I, I have very strong emotions and a very strong, you know, cognitive, you know, section and they i joke i joke with people that they're two bureaucracies they're the like you know they're the fbi and the cia and they're very complicated And they have a hard time they can do a lot but they have a very difficult time talking to each other and so it takes a while for them to communicate and get through each other's bureaucracies um but they but i do a lot to to use my mind to sort of regulate my emotional perception of things because you know if you do the myers-briggs i'm an f and so you know i have a first and initial emotional perception of things and then i kind of categorize them and i organize them with my brain and so you know i do a lot of things i make sure i have clocks around i make sure i again i i do things and and i do a, and i try to keep you know my world organized and stuff like that and that's and so i'm keep constantly okay it's a week now this is a week has been how do i reevaluate things how do i so i do a lot purposefully to structure my world my life and my brain and how it things so that I c- so that as elastic as um, my perception of time can be based on my emotions I'm it's always getting a feedback loop of time and uh, because again I've I felt the chaos and the harm that it did to myself and when when I and people around me and and when I or the people around me um, didn't have a concept of the, of time and, and didn't allow time to inform and give them a feedback loop or inform their decisions. And so I've, I've, I've taken, put a lot of work into regulating that aspect of myself and my perceptions. Uh, so again, you know, I, I will, you know, even when I'm enjoying something, I will sometimes, you know, like check my phone to be like, I'm really enjoying this conversation. What time is it? And I check my phone. i like, okay, now I've reoriented myself. I know how much time I can I've got left to be responsible versus, and now I know how much I can let myself go and how much I can invest further, or if I need to take control of the situation. So I'm
0: you. You it, use uh, you use outside influences yes. to organize yourself. Yes, that's very interesting because I've met people that don't even need that. They just oh yeah just have like a concrete time management in their mind so it's very interesting that you mentioned that you still have that chaos in your mind in a way yeah. um I, I can relate to that i can relate to that chaos because i have to go ahead and literally check every moment what day is it what uh what is my calendar what time of, what i have to put alarms for everything i'm gonna do mm. Because if I do that, then I'm going to be able to do it. Sometimes I even forget about, like, that I need to call my parents because of the passage of time. But <laughs> hey, I have to put it down as a, as a time to do this, I time for yeah. this, time for that. You know, I feel like, eh, for me, it's it's that. Um, yeah. So it's very interesting that you also have to organize it by using an outside thing. And I feel yeah. like a lot of people nowadays – do that. I feel like yeah. the cognitive part of our brains is being affected by how much we use technology. Yeah. outside of ADHD. I feel yeah. like a lot of kids are being diagnosed more with ADHD based on the fact that their cognitive functions are not working properly because they're depending on an yes. on a phone to give them the cognitive function. Absolutely. Uh, So it's very interesting. Um, Well, uh, just to, just to close off, if you ever found out that you were neurodiverse, would you accept it? Would you be able to accept it?
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've always had an aspect of myself that's like, hey, I'm weird. I've always been weird and different from my peers in a lot of different ways. And so it, you know, if I if I was you know if oh well you're different in ways that we have a category for, um, that's just giving me another map of myself to you know navigate all of the ways in which I'm a unique person, and and I'm fine with that you know why you know it depends on like you know what what now if I find out, out stuff about myself I didn't know that I don't like well that's. <laughs> That's just a normal problem that everybody has to deal with that they don't like. Uh, oh, I found something I don't like about myself. Well, I'm going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but no, but that being neurodiverse, now nah, that even just gives me another conversation piece for me. Um, Cause I've had to deal with being weird already. And now I just have a label for it.
0: Yeah. Um, it's like uh, you mentioned that you have neurodivergent friends, like mentioning that Nathan was one of them, but do you have it? more friends that are
1: neurodivergent um i don't i mean i'm trying to think like i haven't had a lot of more friends than nathan who have um like talked about it as much as you know so like i've had i've had a couple i've had a couple other friends but to who who've said oh yeah i have you know again i I've, i've had a few friends that say yeah i have adhd or that have you know said like you know oh i i'm i was diagnosed with bipolar and things like that.
0: Um, but um, but most of my friends have identified as neurotypical. Interesting. Uh, just, uh, just closing off with this, uh, at some point I realized in my life that all my friends are neurotypical. And I realized, man, probably I'm neurotypical too. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you associate with people that you relate to the most. What? when you're neurodiverse interesting
1: uh, interesting yeah that makes sense
0: it's just a, a little nugget of, of of things to talk about you know all of this was worthless maybe you are neurodiverse
1: <laughs> oh no i mean we can have another we can it would be funny if we had to, like if i get diagnosed at some point we can have another podcast and then we'd be like well you know now what's it like coming out as a neurodiverse <laughs>
0: exactly uh but um it was an awesome conversation to have with you, uh, Joseph Holmes. Uh, you were amazing. Uh, y- your explanation of things are incredible uh, and comprehensive, like the way you guys work at your podcast. Uh, that's why I really love to listen to it because, again, you guys talk in a manner that I can understand. Like, hmm. and When I found out Nathan, Nathan was neurodiverse, I was kind of like, oh, wow. like this is why I'm able to relate so much to him because yeah. usually uh, I'm and the reason I think I relate to you a lot is because of the similar upbringing we had. yeah, I think we had a very similar upbringing and you are also very focused in your art. Uh, yeah. and, and I feel like that's we're similar in that vein. E- even if you are neurotypical or, or neurodivergent. It wouldn't matter for me because I'm still able to to find you interesting uh, based on what you have chosen to do with your life. Um, and thank uh, you so
1: much for saying that. No, it's, I again, I really appreciate. You know, like you are really, really good at describing your experiences and you're really good at you know putting your passion into what you do and and putting yourself out there and um so many traits that i admire and i I really i'm glad that i'm able to be a benefit to your life in that way and i really appreciate getting the opportunity to explore this topic with you and 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 give the feedback that i can and learn from you continue to learn from you
0: Well, if anyone wants to find you uh, and learn more about uh, who you are and what you do, uh, where can they find you, Joseph? They
1: can uh, find me and all of my podcasts at um, overthinkersjournal.com where uh, we have, you know, we, we have a bunch of our podcasts are there. You can also find us on all the podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. Um, they, you can find my work where I uh, review movies and talk about uh, movies and, and stuff from a sort of faith-based perspective and, and uh, on uh, theoverthinkersjournal.com. Um, you can also, I'm on all the socials. It's under either normal guy, Joseph Holmes, Um, And you can uh, also uh, find me on my website at josephholmstudios.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for listening to the Rainbow Cupcake Podcast. Please review our podcast in anywhere you listen to it, Uh, but but try to review it. It helps a lot. It helps, like, bring more people to the show. Uh, Give it five stars if you want, if you want um and share it with your friends, your family members, and if you are neurodivergent and you know other people that are neurodivergent, share it with them. If you want to share if you want people in your family that are neurotypical to understand your struggles and you, what you go through, that's what the podcast is for. If you <laughs> want to come to the podcast and tell us about your personal experience please do it. Uh, you can contact us uh, in, in every, in the links below. We have uh, our Instagram and uh, if you want, now we have a Discord server and we are gonna be, uh, uh, we are gonna be leaving a, a, a link and stuff for that, for you to join our community, and start to talk with other people with neurodiversities. Um, And if you're neurotypical, you can join us well and learn more about us. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great time. And uh, Joseph, help me say goodbye.
1: Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.